I want to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of James, James chapter 1. How can an almost 2,000-year-old book say anything to us at all in a 21st century economic downturn? Well, it does. And the reason it does is because the God who inspired that almost 2,000-year-old book knew that 21 centuries later, we'd have an economic downturn. None of this has been a surprise to our God, and He has a word to say to us about it. We're beginning a series in the book of James today entitled The Moral and Spiritual Aspects of the Economic Downturn. We'll be reading the first 12 verses of James chapter 1. This message is entitled A Different Way to Look at Bad Times. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls, its beauty destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. But blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to them who love him. James was writing somewhere around 50, 51 A.D., a long time ago. It was a time when the city of Jerusalem and the area of Palestine was undergoing the beginnings of an economic recession. James was the pastor of the church. And the recession got so bad that many of the people who had jobs in and around Jerusalem had to leave Jerusalem to find work. Sound familiar? These were the times in which James wrote. Times much like ours, back in 1996, my dad and I bought a small number of shares of stock in a local bank where I grew up. And as a result of buying those shares of stock, which haven't really produced a whole lot, I might add, I get annual stock reports. And I received one this past week from the president of the bank. And in his letter, in the first paragraph, he said something that you and I have heard over and over and over again. He said this, he says, we are in the worst financial times since the Great Depression. Duh. 
One building contractor I talked with recently said that he'd been in business 17 years and that in the 17 years that he'd been doing residential building construction, he'd never had a time when his work was so low as it is right now. He had already laid off three quarters of the people who were working under him. Recently, I got bored and I decided to do some reading on the Bureau of Labor and Statistics website. Now, buddy, when you go there, you're bored. But I found some interesting stuff on the website of the Bureau of Labor, Labor and Statistics. Forty-six states record unemployment rates right now. Forty-six states record unemployment rates that are higher than one year ago. Jobless rates are up in all 50 states, including the District of Columbia. The national unemployment rate stands at 8.5%. That's three and a half percentage points higher than it was this time last year. Now, three and a half percentage points may not sound like a lot, but it's about five million people. That's a lot of people. In Georgia, our unemployment rate stands at 9.1%. That's one out of every 11 Georgians. One out of every 11 Georgia residents is out of work. That website said that uh, the unemployment rate right now stands in the United States at a 25-year high. 25-year high. And it's not just a United States downturn, it is a global downturn. As bad as we have it here in America, where the unemployment rate is around 8.5%, uh, there are nations that have it a lot worse. Spain, for instance, the unemployment rate is 17%, double what ours is. One out of every six residents in Spain is out of work. And there are some nations that are even double that rate, the rate that Spain has. These are challenging times. And even for those of us whose salaries have not decreased, the companies we work for have, for the most part, experienced what we're talking about. My salary here at Palmetto Baptist has not decreased, but our offerings are at 80% of what we had budgeted for this year. And so while my salary may not be impacted yet, the church that I serve is certainly impacted in a major way. Well, how should we as Christians respond to these kind of challenging times? Well, I'm thankful for the book of James. James's letter tells us to look at our bad times through a positive lens. Now, on the surface, I, I back up away from that and I resist that. I think, man, you, you're, you're discounting the pain that some of our people feel. But that wasn't what James was saying at all. He was not discounting the pain of recession, the pain of famine, which is what they were experiencing. He wasn't discounting the pain of a downturn, but he was saying, look, in the middle of your pain, don't forget that bad times can produce good results. It's a different way of looking at bad times. We can look at our bad times through a 
positive lens that doesn't discount our pain, but it, it opens our eyes to a greater design and a greater plan that God is working in all of our lives. Four things in particular that I love that James teaches us in this passage. The first one is this, that hard times are a given for everyone. I have always taken comfort in the opening verses that James gives us, in particular verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials. It wasn't consider it pure joy if you do. It wasn't consider it pure joy, those of you who will have trials, but the rest of you don't worry about it. He says, consider it pure joy when. It's an assumption that you and I will face hard times, that it's a real dilemma that people face. And those of us who may not be feeling the pinch quite so hard in this current economic downturn just wait a little while. There will come a day when some other kind of pain will smack us right in the jaws. And we too will find ourselves in the midst of hard times. Hard times can be doubly hard for Christians because when we're in the face of a hard time that seems to never relent, it just never gives up, never, never takes its 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 hard grip off of our shoulders and our hearts, it causes us to rethink our faith. It tests our faith. It challenges what we think about God. It challenges how, what we have believed about life. And granted, some of the beliefs we've had all of our lives about God and about life need to be challenged because they've been mm, sugar-coated. And they need to be given a good dose of, of reality. Hard times are a given for everyone. But the second truth that James gives us in these verses is that God's best work in us comes amid the worst experiences for us. Consider it pure joy, brothers. This is not what these people expected to hear. They may have expected James to give them some stock tips. Here's how you can thrive on Wall Street during a time of a downturn. Maybe they were expecting him to give them a list of job openings. Here are some places in your neighborhood where new jobs have opened up. He could have done that, but that wasn't what he said. He said, look, you're in the middle of a downturn. Consider it pure joy. Again, he wasn't discounting the reality of the crisis. He wasn't trying to, to ease the fact of the pain, but what he was trying to do again is to open their eyes to a broader perspective. God is doing something here, and God does his best work when we are in our worst times. Now, be careful that you hear me correct. I didn't say that God had to do it that way. I didn't say that God has to do his best work, that that's the only way he had available to him. That's not what I said. God could have done it any other way. I've gotten angry at God a time or two because he didn't do it in a little bit easier way. Lay aside the fact of what God had to do or didn't have to do. The fact of the matter is that in this world, God has chosen this way to do things. That sometimes when we're in our worst times, he does his best work. I was reading Warren Wiersbe a few years ago. He's a 
written a, a whole set of commentaries plus a whole bunch of other books. In fact, he's never had an unpublished thought to my knowledge. But one day I was reading Warren Wearsby and he was talking about a vacation that he and his wife took into England and on their vacation they toured this uh, manufacturing plant that manufactures uh, famous rugs. Very expensive, high-priced rugs. And he went into the manufacturing plant to take the tour and in the middle of the tour he whispered to his wife, he says, you know, honey, these, these rugs are ugly. This is not what I expected. I, I, I have seen some of these rugs out in people's homes, and they were just gorgeous. They were exquisite. But here in this plant, they're ugly. And she said, you know, I've thought the same thing. I don't understand it. This is such a huge disappointment. And so Wearsby, being the vocal person he is, he said to the tour guide, he said, you know, I don't mean to be uh, blunt or to be rude but he said these rugs are ugly I, I was expecting them to be beautiful what gives and the tour guide said you're looking at the bottom side of them when you when we get around on the other side of of this row in this plant you're going to see the top side of them and you'll see the beauty but we're on the bottom side quite often when you and I are in the middle of the darkest of times, the only thing that we are able to see is the bottom side of the rug. But there is a beautiful side to it. In the middle of your darkest times, God is doing His best work. Consider it pure joy. The Apostle Paul put it in another way in this wonderful, wonderful verse. You know it, chapter 8, verse 28. And we know... We know that God works all things together for the good of them who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. God does his best work when your experiences are at their worst. I've seen some of you working in your dark times, and I, I, I will submit to you that many of you would not have done some of the things that you've done for God and for others had it not been for the downturn that you were experiencing in your life. God does his best work amid our worst experiences. And then the third truth that James gives us is this. Our response to bad times will determine whether God's work, his best work, will be accomplished. You see, God's not going to force his way into your life. He's not going to force his way on to you and your family. He will provide the options and give you the freedom to make the choices of what you want to do. You and I have the choice in whatever kind of downturn we face, economic, marital, relational, physical, whatever it is, you and I have the choice to respond in a way that will either make us bitter at God, bitter at life, bitter toward those we love, or we can respond in a way that will make us better in our lives, better in our relationship with God, better in our relationship with our families and in our relationship with our friends. James says that there are really three ways that we can respond in a positive way. He said, first of all, we need need to respond by recognizing that God uses hard times to make us grow. Again, I'm not saying he has to do it that way. That's the way he's chosen to do it. 
God uses bad times to make us grow. Number two is, he says, you can respond by seeking out the wisdom of God. James says this, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who doesn't mind you asking, by the way, my paraphrase, and he will give to you liberally. He will give it to you. He won't play tricks with you. He won't play hide and seek with you. He will give that wisdom to you, James says. So respond by seeking God for the wisdom. And then third, he says you can respond positively by submitting to what God is doing in all of our lives. There's that weird little couple of verses there where he talks about let the the, uh, poor man exalt that he's lifted up and let the rich man exalt that he's been brought low. There's something about an economic downturn. In fact, there's something about crises in general that level the playing field. And if you're someone who started out on the playing field with your face on the ground, deep in the dirt, and God lifts you up, be glad for that. If you're someone who goes into the playing field a little bit haughty, a little bit high and lifted up, and God brings you down, even though that may hurt, be glad for that. There is a correcting of the markets whenever you and I go through a crisis like this. Our response to bad times will determine whether God's best work is accomplished. The question is not whether or not God will work in your life. The question is whether or not you will let Him work in your life and the choice is all yours and then the fourth truth tough times prepare us for the road ahead tough times prepare us for the road ahead some of you are saying well if that's the case then I've got quite a road ahead to look forward to because God is doing some preparing for me verse 3 the testing of your faith develops perseverance But perseverance must be allowed to finish her work. Tough times prepare us for the road ahead. Anyone who's played a stringed instrument, whether it's guitar, a violin, a cello, any stringed instrument, you know that when you start out playing that instrument or trying to play it, the ends of your fingers get raw. They hurt. Sometimes they crack and they bleed when you're first learning to play an instrument. And the temptation is deep to stop playing that instrument. Cut out what is causing the pain. But the person who is disciplined, the person who is determined to learn that instrument will continue fighting through the pain. Continue playing the instrument to the point that playing through that pain will ultimately callous the end of your fingers and toughen them up so that down the road you can play without the pain. Ask anybody who plays a guitar and they'll tell you that that's true. Tough times are the same, work the same way. They prepare us, they callous us, and I'm not saying that we ought to become calloused Not in a bad way, but I'm talking about in a good way. Tough times now prepare us for times in the future, whether they are good or they are bad. Many of us in our church, many of you, are going through some of the toughest times you have ever faced in your life. And perhaps for 
that number of us who don't quite understand, who've never lost a job. If you've ever lost a job, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You lose your job unexpectedly. You don't know where the next mortgage payment's going to come from. You don't know where the next grocery bill is going to be paid from. And, and you don't know where your next car payment's going to be made from. And all of a sudden, your blood pressure stays up 24-7. And James says to those of us whose blood pressure is starting to elevate over the crisis, Keep your faith. Keep your faith. Keep working. Keep doing what you know is right, but keep your faith because God is working in your life. And let Him work. Let Him complete what He is doing in you. Stanley Pinto is a professional wrestler, a very successful professional wrestler. He won a lot of wrestling matches. Until one day, he was beaten by his most formidable opponent. It happened in Providence, Rhode Island. It is recorded in a book written by Ross and Catherine Petros in, entitled, you'll love the title, The 176 Stupidest Things Ever Done. Stanley Pinto was in the ring, and he was playing around with his arms and his legs in the ropes of the ring when the bell chimed inaugurating the wrestling match, and he found himself so entangled in the ropes that he couldn't get out of them. And the more he fought to get out of them, the more entangled he got until finally he found himself upside down and had pinned his shoulders to the mat. This is true, I swear it is. Pinned his shoulders to the mat. His opponent had walked to the middle of the ring, had not laid a hand on him yet. The referee, seeing that Stanley Pinto had, had pinned himself to the mat, looked around at his opponent, looked around at the judges on the side, and came down to the mat and started counting him out. And counted him out to three. Stanley Pinto defeated himself. Listen, ladies and gentlemen. If you and I get defeated in this downturn, if your family gets beaten in this downturn, if our church loses ground in this downturn, it won't be the downturn that beats us. It'll be because we beat ourselves. God wants to do a great work in you during these hard times. The choice of whether or not He accomplishes His best work is yours. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we don't in any way, in any way, discount at all the pain that a lot of people are feeling. One in every 11 of our residents out of work. Many people who are still in work have suffered a loss of wages or their company is hurting and churches are hurting families are broken but Lord we trust your word when you say that you are doing something in our lives Lord help us to keep the faith help us to trust you with what's going on 
Keep reminding us, Lord, that we're looking on the bottom side of the rug and there's a beautiful piece of work on the top side. And you're going to show us that top side. It's not like we've got to wait till we get the glory to see it. So, Lord, help us just to hang on a little longer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.